the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. That show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. I am your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, a comedy writer, and a performer, graduate of Second City, and a Saturday Night Live expert and historian. And each week, we will look back at everything SNL, the best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons, full casts, behind-the-scenes stories, single episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode, I will always prove that that tired cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. Uh, No guests today, but the topic is, on episode 13, the title of this episode is, The Worst Host Ever. This episode is dedicated to uh, the entire Saturday Night Live episode that many consider to be uh, the showcase for the worst host in the history of SNL. Now, there have been a lot of bad hosts in SNL history. I mean, the show's been on for over 48 seasons, and in that time, there have been hundreds and hundreds of hosts, and many of them have been bad. Some good performers who had a bad night. Some, just not good at all. Some, obviously, people who were not meant to be doing comedy, like uh, news people or sports uh, 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 people, uh, you know, athletes and things like that, who, politicians, uh, people who were newsmakers, who weren't necessarily performers, certainly not comedic performers, who were not meant to host the show. Um, you know, some of them, like, you know, like if, you, if you were just off the top of your head, if you were to rattle off some of the worst hosts in SNL history, uh, Paris Hilton is on that list, Justin Bieber, Nancy Kerrigan hosted, Donald Trump, that goes without saying, in 2015, Frank Zappa, in the early days, notoriously awful host of the show, um, and my choice, actually, is January Jones, uh, but we'll get into those. There have been many more, trust me. There is a massive list of people who did terrible jobs hosting uh, Saturday Night Live, and trust me, they are going to be episodes here on that show. Trust me on that. I've got that covered. But we are going to cover this particular episode that is considered by many and by people who were there that night, people who performed that night, producers, writers from behind the scenes, and Lorne Michaels himself, who considers it the worst episode, quote-unquote, from Lorne Michaels. It's the worst episode in Saturday Night Live history. And that episode took place on April 20th, 1991. It was season 16, episode 18. Your musical guest was Michael Bolton. And your host, who is widely considered to be the worst host in the history of SNL, is action star Steven Seagal. Yes, Steven Seagal is uh, considered by many, by most, uh, to be the worst host in the history of Saturday Night Live. And that's saying a lot, considering, you know, all of the people that I just named, and sure that there are dozens in your head right now that you're thinking of who were horrible hosts. But if you actually saw this show, 
on April 20th, 1991, like I did, watching it live, you know it was a train wreck. It was such a train wreck that Seagal, Seagal was immediately banned and would never appear on SNL again, not like people would want him to come back. But the episode was cut from syndication, which doesn't happen very often. It's only happened at a few times. But yes, this episode was cut from syndication. Uh, you cannot find it on uh, Peacock as well. So it was an episode, cuts from syndication, that Lauren wanted to hide, who absolutely considers it the worst episode in SNL history. We will go through the entire episode. I will play back a bunch of clips from that episode. I just rewatched it, pre- pre- prepping for this very episode of this podcast, uh, and reliving the nightmare that was season 16, episode 18, the night that Steven Seagal hosted. And it is an absolute train wreck of biblical proportions, and um, it almost all has to do with Seagal. Because the cast, this was a, a very, very good cast. This was 1991. So the cast uh, were uh, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, John Lovitz, who, by the way, does not appear at all in the entire episode. He is not in the show at all. So Lovitz does not make a single appearance in the show. Uh, Dennis Miller, Mike Myers, Kevin Nealon, with... Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, Julia Sweeney, and your featured players, uh, first seasons uh, for all these guys, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, and David Spade. So it's a, it's a classic cast. Uh, these are all players that uh, have, you know, that have in history gone down as some of crowd favorites, people who did a great job on the show and continued to have great careers afterwards. So, you know, it's a great cast. Uh, so it's not the cast fault. And it wasn't really the writer's fault because they came to ideas with Steven Seagal and uh, they were turned down. So let's analyze why this is considered the worst episode in SNL history, according to Lauren Michaels, and why Steven Seagal is widely considered the worst host ever. Let's start with a little background on Steven Seagal. Seagal, for those of you who don't remember, Seagal got popular in the uh, late-ish 80s, like right around 87 or 88 with a series of action movies. And he was this mysterious guy that nobody knew about. Here's a quick uh, uh, description. Seagal was in a class by himself. Uh, he had been discovered by Michael Ovitz, who was a, you know, a super agent. Um, and he was a master of Aikido, Japanese martial arts, and all that kind of stuff. He had like swarthy looks. He was imposing. He was very tall. And Ovitz, who again was this super agent, thought that uh, Seagal could be a movie star. So um, he got together with the executives at Warner Brothers. They said, okay, let's make some movies. So they made Above the Law, which is actually a really terrific movie, then Hard to Kill and Marked for Death. And at that time, then he hosted SNL. But at that time, when he first, then he'd go on to do a ton of other movies and then become the joke that he is today. Uh, we all know that Steven Seagal now is just, a, just an idiot. But at the time, uh, he was like this mysterious guy. And, uh, you know, the press was like, oh, man, they were all over him. He had claims that he uh, was, you know, involved with the CIA and, uh, you know, and Seagal uh, told uh, Los Angeles Times in 1988 when his first movie came out, Above the Law, which, by the way, was shot here in Chicago, directed by the great Andy Davis. It's actually a really good movie, despite the fact that Seagal's a jackass. Uh, it says, you can say that I lived in Asia for a long time. And in Japan, I came, I became, I became very, very close to several CIA agents. And you could say that I became an advisor to several CIA agents in the field. And you could say that through my friends in the CIA, I met many powerful people and did special, special, special works and special favors for them. And of course, the CIA didn't confirm or deny it, 
But then years later, they completely said this idiot was never in the CIA. And these were all built up to make this guy look mysterious and dangerous, like he may have killed somebody, like he was an agent. He knew all these special martial arts. He could kill people. He was skilled, blah, blah, blah. And so this was all fed by the agents, led by Ovitz, to make this guy, Steven Seagal, you know, uh, appear to be big and huge and mysterious and different than the guys at that time who were making big action movies like your Stallones and like your, you know, like your uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzeneggers and all the big stars of the 80s at that time. They wanted to separate him from all the other you know, martial arts guys that were out there too because you, know, you had people like uh, Cynthia Rothrock and Michael Dudikoff and all of these movies that were, all of these actors and actresses who were legit martial artists and Chuck Norris and stuff like that who were making movies as well. Um, so you know, he, just, he agreed to do the show. But, uh, you know, he, he was agreeable at the beginning, and then things got a little bit weirder. And as the show went on, uh, it, got, it, it just got really stranger and stranger. And we will go through the entire episode. I will take you through the entire episode, which I just watched. We'll play some clips back, and I will tell you what it was like to watch it and remind you and play some clips and tell you just how weird it got. But it was bad from the get-go as soon as he got there, you know. Uh, you're introduced to the cast. You meet Lauren. You're pitched ideas as the host. And from the Monday morning when they met Seagal, it was a nightmare. And he was a pain in the ass to work with. He was really generally disagreeable. And you'll hear some stories about how bad it was. Um, and uh, people online have actually said, one, one person actually said online that it is the room of SNL uh, of SNL uh, episodes and the room meaning the terrible movie, the Tommy Wiseau movie. Um, and so Tim Meadows said um, the biggest problem with Steven Seagal was that he would complain about the jokes that he didn't get. So it was like, you can't explain something in German if they don't speak German. That's the thing. Uh, he wasn't funny and he was very critical of the cast and the writing staff. He didn't realize that you can't tell somebody they're stupid on Wednesday and expect them to continue to write for you all the way up until Saturday when you go live. And this wasn't the last time that an SNL uh, cast member would encounter Seagal, by the way. Uh, Rob Schneider, who was also on the show, spoke about a time a writer friend of his had a meeting with Seagal for a discussion about a sequel to the movie Under Siege. Um, uh, And the friend who encountered Seagal on the film set said, you know, I just read the greatest script I've ever read in my life, Seagal said to Schneider's friend. And his friend said, really? Who wrote it? And Seagal said, I did. Um, and according to David Spade, his abrasiveness on the set was horrible, um, and every you know everything that he did while he was there made everybody uncomfortable. He didn't want to go along with the plan that week, David Spade said, and as a result, uh, this was the first time that I heard talk about replacing the host uh, and just having the cast do the show. So by Thursday, when you have everything blocked, when you're getting ready, you know, to, to, you know, at the last minute, I mean, you got Thursday and Friday, you're rushing, you're going through the blocking, you're finalizing every sketch. He still refused to do a bunch of stuff. He still made it a pain in the ass, and they still didn't know what was going on. And by Thursday, the writers and the staff and the cast were like, Lauren, let's just get rid of this guy. Fuck him. Get rid of him. Let's just do the show, rewrite everything, and do it without a host. And they were really, really close to doing it. But Lauren, who, you know, uh, is very, very, you know, uh, he's, he wants to stay loyal to his hosts. He wants to make the host feel comfortable because the idea at SNL is to bring the host in, make them feel as comfortable as possible, and make them be a part of the show. So, you know, Lauren, even though he hated every moment of working with him, said no. 
Um, and Julia Sweeney, who was on the show, said, we pitched a bunch of ideas to Seagal on the Monday meeting and on and on, and he turned them all down. Some of his sketch ideas were so heinous and so hilariously awful, it was like we were on candid camera. And you'll hear a little bit more about that as we go on. Um, he wasn't funny. He was very critical of the cast and the writing staff, um, and so on and so forth, as they said. So it just goes on. Um, and if you watch the show, which I just did, he rarely smiles. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He's really grumbly. He spends a lot of time, like, grabbing cast members and throwing them through breakaway furniture and stuff like that because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to showcase the fact that he was a badass and tough and he would beat the shit out of anybody. And he looked miserable and his timing was off. He was looking at the cue cards. He was horrible. He was angry. He didn't have any kind of feel of any kind of sense of humor whatsoever it's a nightmare and incredibly uncomfortable to watch and you feel bad for every single person who's suck stuck on the stage with that guy particularly in a very late sketch one of the later sketches called uh, jennifer's date where chris farley had to work with him the most playing uh the date of a girl who happens to have steven seagal as her father um and it's really cringeworthy um, it's an infamous episode. Lauren Michaels quickly removed it from the rerun rotation after that. And then they did make fun of it. And like 1992, um, uh, Nicholas Cage was the host. And this was September 26, 1992. And in one sketch, the actor was lamenting to Lauren Michaels that fans will probably think that, quote, he's the biggest jerk who's ever been on the show. And Lauren Michaels on camera, his response immediately was, no, no, that would be Steven Seagal. So those are just some of the uh, testimonials and thoughts about you know, why it's considered one of the worst episodes of all time, why Steven Seagal is considered by many to be the worst host of all time, and what a nightmare it was to work with that guy from Monday morning until the damn show aired and ended Sunday morning. A nightmare week for everybody involved behind the scenes, on the stage, in the audience, at home, and it was all because Steven Seagal sucked. Now, I got some clips here from uh, some people who were involved in the show. Uh, some people who were there that night, people who were unfortunately on stage with him, people who experienced it firsthand. And before I dive into the show itself and take you through the sketches and take you uh, through my thoughts on why it's just horrendous, and you'll hear, by the way, you will hear no laughter. You will hear Steven Seagal flubbing lines because he can't read the damn cue cards. You will hear just what a nightmare these sketches are, and I'll explain even more because some of it is visual. But you'll hear as I dive into this entire episode why it's such a nightmare. But first, um, let's get into some actual audio of people who were there. These are interviews from the people who had to put up with this night. First is Al Franken, legendary performer, writer on the show, spent 15 seasons on the show. He was there that night. He was part of the writing staff, um, and he talked with Tom Segura on the uh, YMH talk show, which is a podcast as well. And Tom Segura, a fantastic stand-up comedian who has done great material and stand-up stuff about his obsession with how ridiculous Steven Seagal is as a performer, as a human, you know, um, just as whatever his image is, whatever he tried to, you know, just, just as a ridiculous human being. And Steven Seagal, of course, over the years has become even more ridiculous as time has gone by. And Tom Segura, a great stand-up comedian, had Al Franken on. And this is Al Franken's thoughts on this infamous episode that we're talking about um, on April 20th, 1991, when Steven Seagal hosted. Here we go. Worst host by lapped every bad host. This is somebody that you've been there. You did, you did 15 seasons. 15 seasons. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen hundreds of hosts. Yes. And 
lapped people lapped. as the worst. First of all, everything you say yeah. in your in the bit, great, I did, in yeah. your bit, great bit Thanks. about him is absolutely fucking true. Everything he's always just bragging on something yeah. that he did that he didn't do, <laughs> and is just the most awful person. Okay, now I'll, I'll give you. Okay, here's here's an example. <clears throat> <laughs> so we do read-through. We do read-through on Wednesdays. And uh, after read-through, Warren sits with the host, and I was a producer, too. So I sat in the room with him. And so it was me, Lauren, and, and Seagal. And Seagal's an idiot in addition to everything else uh, and has no sense of humor in addition to everything else. Oh, Christ. Else. Great fit for the yeah, show. Perfect. So he goes, he literally, literally does this. He says, uh, I have an idea for a sketch. Oh, dear. Okay. Okay. So I'm a psychiatrist and Victoria, that's Victoria Jackson, comes in and I'm her psychiatrist and I hypnotize her and um, I have sex with her. <laughs> and then at the end, I tell her she's got to come back every week. <laughs> so, so, dude, that's a great sketch. <laughs> yes. Isn't that great? So I'm looking at Lauren is going like, and and I'm going like Lauren has to maintain a relationship with the host. So yeah. Lauren's looking at me. And I go, and this is what I say. I say, so you want us to do the ugliest sketch that's ever been on television? <laughs> and he said and he says to me, You don't like any of my ideas. <gasps> okay, uh, fine. I took it for Lauren. Okay. So there's a story from Al Franken, one of many stories uh, that he tells about that night and one of many stories that I read about. And uh, and we're going to hear more. Uh, and again, if you don't know who Steven Seagal is, Google him now. Uh, big action star in the late 80s and into about the mid 90s and then became like a joke. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so here's David Spade. Um, who was also there that night, and uh, Rob Lowe uh, interviewing David Spade. Rob Lowe, who obviously has a, a close connection with, uh, with Saturday Night Live as being a host a bunch of times and starring in movies like, you know, Tommy Boy um, and being a regular on Parks and Rec, which is Amy Poehler's show. So his connection with, you know, Saturday Night Live, the cast members and his work with people who, you know, are, are alumni and things like that from Saturday Night Live is great. And Rob Lowe uh, is also one of the funniest guys on the planet, which nobody knew back in the 80s in those days. But anyway, uh, I digress. But Rob Lowe had him on his show, and uh, they talked about uh, David Spade's experience working with Seagal that night. Were you there for Steven Seagal? Yes. You were? Yes. No. Yes. Oh, for those who don't know, he is widely and unanimously, that's the same thing, right? Widely and unanimously? Eh, considered close. the worst host in the history of SNL. He, you and, know, and I hope he's not around to kick my ass. I, have, I think he's in Russia, so it's all good. I have to defend him a little he's, bit. He's fucking there with Vlad, Robert Kraft's Super Bowl ring. I think maybe his one-inch ponytail was too tight that night because... Wait, you're defending him? A little bit. Why? Only because he was... Totally, you liked his ideas. He was friendly enough to me. The only thing he did, which was he tightened up, which is a lot of hosts do. I don't know if you did it. Uh, I didn't do it. I threw up, but I didn't tighten up as far as... You have to sort of trust these 30 people you don't know. You have to walk in and say. 100%. I, a lot of people think we're there to make fun of them. 
And we're saying true. we respect you. If we're getting you on the show to host, we all want it to work. Yep. And if you make fun of yourself, this is where it gets tricky. If you make fun of yourself, it will benefit you. And we promise you. And if you don't, and you fight it so much, and that was him. He was too cool and had his image. And, you know, like Stallone would come on. You know, whoever would come on and they make fun of Rock. And, you know, that's the way to do it. Yeah. And then people go, oh, you're a human. You play so cool, but you can at least goof around. And and it's more relatable. He wouldn't do kung fu fighting as a uh, cold open oh my God. or a monologue. And it was like everybody was going. <laughs> but he was... We had it something funny, then he throws in little kicks, you know? Uh, it would have been amazing. It was amazing. It just been amazing. Because, and then I think we walk up and get kicked and fall down. And <laughs> so he says he'll do it, but he just talks it. It's still kind of funny, but he won't He won't play at all. And then the other sketches, he was fighting. A lot of people. So, yeah, and he was fighting throughout most of the sketches. All right, so you'll hear a little bit of that. And a lot of the stuff that's being described in these next couple of clips from, you know, the cast members and the writers behind the scenes, people that were there, you'll hear it. You'll hear You'll hear it as I describe it to you as well. Bob Odenkirk was on that show, not in front of the camera, obviously, but he was on the writing staff at that time. So he was on the writing staff. Uh, and here is Bob Odenkirk on Howard Stern's show, uh, talking with Howard about his experience as a writer working on that episode with Seagal. And he described something that you will hear in just a little bit. Well, it was it, Hans it, and Franz. Right. And we were talking to him about I was helping with Hans and Franz that week. Yeah, I didn't usually help with that piece, but I love those guys. And uh, and and Seagal read it, and he said, "If I do this sketch, if I do it," and they you know they they want to fight him. Hey, we'll take you on. He goes, "If I do it, I have to beat them up." <laughs> like he has to. It's like a John Wayne thing, right? Like right, they, right. like He's it's the win. most ludicrous scenario. You don't worry. No one will think that they actually, no one's thinking anyone beat anyone up here. But uh, that was his attitude the whole week was he kept saying, I've never seen your show. I don't know what you do here. Like, really? You've never seen Saturday Night Live? <laughs> Where do you live? <laughs> he, he wrote a scene and it's the last scene in the show. And it's like one of his movies, but they tried to do it live. They got some stunt men to come in. It was it's insane. So because. there's like this board of directors. There's a bunch of stunt men in suits. So as a as a viewer, you're like, who are these actors? They're not in the cast, and they're and then there's like some speech, and then he enters the banquet room and starts beating. It's live, and he's beating them up. And throwing them around the room, and it goes on for like eight minutes. It's the longest scene you've ever seen. And then at the very end, he turns to camera and says, This is what happens when you pollute the planet. And the audience is mystified. So that's, you'll hear, you'll hear a little bit more of that. But it's true. Uh, it's true. He wanted to do this sketch. His, you know, he was very you know, concerned about the environment at that time. It, this was like he was interested in doing that, and that's why he made a movie called On Deadly Ground, which was about ecological disaster, and only Steven Seagal can kick the shit out of people to stop ecological disasters. And that's what the final sketch was about. And you'll hear more of it coming up, but that was Odenkirk's take on that. Finally, here's Julia Sweeney, who was also on the show that night. And Julia Sweeney has a quick thought on her work uh, on the show, and she was on a podcast uh, as well, uh, being uh, being interviewed. And uh, here's her thoughts on working with Seagal. Steven Seagal was so horrible on such a scale. It was such a 
huge scale of the terribleness that it was undeniable by anyone who was there. I remember at one point he locked himself in this dressing room because Hans and he said, you're saying Hans and Franz could beat me up and I'm not coming out of the dressing room until you change the sketch. Like, I mean, it was really legendary um, craziness. Who got him out? He didn't I, can't come out of I just remember a lot of interns running around the hall and going, Steven Seagal won't come out of his room until we change the Hans and Franz sketch. All right, well, then let's hear the Hans and Franz sketch, shall we? Because that's the cold open. That's how this show, season 16, episode 18, April 20th, 1991, I was sitting on my couch watching it like a normal person, and literally 20 minutes in, I'm like, I cannot believe what I'm watching. Um, so Hans and Franz, as you know, are the takeoff, uh, you know, the, the muscle-bound goofballs that Kevin Nealon and Dana Carvey played, and they were... They worshipped, uh, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And as has been mentioned, um, Steven Seagal said no to all of these things. And all he wanted to do was come out and beat the crap out of them. And they couldn't say that Arnold Schwarzenegger would beat him up. And they couldn't say this. So basically, um, Seagal came out and was, was completely disagreeable until he kind of did a thing that he was happy with where he said he practices Zen. Anyway, this is... What they, they had to rewrite the sketch. They literally had to rewrite the sketch like five times. And what they performed live, that you'll hear this little piece of it, was something that they only performed in dress because he wanted it changed, everything leading up to the live performance. So here is part of that cold open, the very first scene uh, with Hans and Franz. And hey, welcome, we're back. Once again, I'm Hans. Yeah, I'm Franz, and we just want to pump you up. All right. <laughs> First off, let's clear something up. You know, many people have accused us of being involved with steroids. Yeah, they are right. You know. Yeah, but let me explain to us, though, steroids are something different. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they are the people that stop on the street and stare at our amazing pompitude. Hence, <laughs> hence we call them steroids. <laughs> All right, enough talk. We're not here to talk. We're here to pump you up. All right. All right, the big news this summer is our cousin Arnold is coming out with a new blockbuster action movie. Those are surprises. Yeah, you know, that's right. You know, Arnold's sure to beat out all the competition from these other second-rate action movie stars. Yeah, i.e. Sylvester Stallone, Rambo, yeah. Rocky, you know, all those guys. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's right. You know, Charles Bronson, Pinchwell, all them, you know. All right, you know, it's a laugh to even compare them to Arnold. Look at me, Franz, I'm laughing. <laughs> this guy Steven Seagal. Yeah, hear me now and believe me later. Arnold could easily rip Steven Seagal's skinny little arms off and he could use them as dental floss. That's right, unwaxed. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Seagal. Mr. Seagal. Mr. Seagal, I didn't see you. I couldn't help overhearing what you guys were saying, you know. Oh, well, you were so quiet, you know. How long were you back there? We were just talking, you know. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, tune the yeah. Look, fellas, let's not confuse the issue here. I don't want to compare myself to these other stars. They're great and everything like that. But what I do is unique. You know yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got a point. Yeah. See, um, I follow Zen. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, we know them. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah that's right. First we lift the barbell, then we lift another. Yeah, then another. Then another. Yeah, and then we are done. That's right. I don't think you guys understand what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Maybe I could demonstrate. Hmm? I'd like to hold my little finger out and let you guys push on it. Oh, well, you know, you know, before... <laughs> Before you make this last decision, you know, perhaps you should see what you're up against. Yeah, yeah, take a gander, Stephen. <laughs> so that's them, you know, obviously pumping themselves up and, and posing and stuff. So uh, what you can't really see is that he's laid on his cue, like he's looking around, um, his blocking, he's screwing up the blocking, he's standing too far downstage, too far upstage at times, and he just doesn't, it doesn't look like he wants to be there. And you can hear Neelan and Carvey desperately trying to get laughs and make it funny. And they do succeed in getting a few laughs out of that. And that is indicative of every single person on the show who was desperately trying to get any kind of laugh and getting no help from the Jagoff on stage with them. Here's the monologue. And again, as you heard, they wanted to do like a big uh, kung fu fighting thing. But he gets a guitar and just starts playing kung fu fighting straight. And this is his monologue. Great to be here in New York, and it's great to be opening up Saturday Night Live. Most of you probably know me from my action-adventure films, Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Mark for Death, stuff like that. My newest film, Out for Justice, which is number one in the nation right now. But my movies are more than just action, and I like to try to explore the mythical poet and the warrior that has all but vanished in modern society. The relationship between man and God, the struggle of the common man against politically corrupt systems. I hope you'll forgive me for being a little bit serious, but it's important to me to let you know that there's a lot more to Steven Seagal than the martial arts. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to sing and Play it. Hang around. Everybody was Kung Fu Fight. Fast as lightning. It was a little bit frightening. Yeah. Anyway, he goes on and does like almost the whole song like that. Like tries to play it seriously. He's got, he got the guitar out. Those background singers, by the way, included uh, Chris Rock and Tim Meadows, who look clearly like they don't want to be on stage. So instead of doing a bit about how funny it could be, uh, like him messing up Kung Fu, he's like, no, I want to sing this song. All right. First sketch of the night, uh, by the way, is a commercial, and it was a commercial for Winston McCauley, uh, funeral home uh, that was narrated and starring uh, Phil Hartman. And the entire joke was, you should use our funeral home because we will not have sex with your, uh, your, your relative's dead body. Uh, so it was essentially a 45-second necrophilia joke. And it's pretty funny. In fact, it's one of the funnier things in it because Steven Seagal's not in the sketch. Okay, the first live sketch they did was Tonelli One Man Army, where um, Steven Seagal, it starts off as a sketch where Steven Seagal plays the renegade cop like he did in a lot of his movies, where, you know, the... the the, the boss, played by Phil Hartman, is coming down on him. He's not following the rules and blah, blah, blah. So that's the setup of the sketch. But then it ultimately turns out to be something else. Here's the first clip from it. 
And this is Seagal, again, screwing up his lines, attempting to do some sort of accent. Just listen to how he screws up and delivers these lines. And, you know, luckily, the guy on stage with him is the best cast member in the history of SNL. It's Phil Hartman, who's working his ass off to pick up the slack that this idiot Seagal loves. Just listen to his delivery of lines in this. I've had about all I can stand of your kind of police work. Improper searches, beating suspects. Ever hear of a little thing called the Bill of Rights? Now I've got the ACLU up my behind, and the DA has to throw out these indictments. I caught these two guys with three kilos of cocaine. What do you think they were doing with a making shark for girls softball games? Nico, as long as I'm running this department, everybody has civil rights, including drug dealers. And just to make sure you get the picture, Tonelli, I'm taking you off the streets. I want your badge and I want your gun. All right. You, you, the, the, what the, 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 put hair in the what? What? And you can see Phil Hartman going, the dude cannot even read. All right. So anyway, what starts out as a parody of a kind of a, a you know, a typical Steven Seagal movie then turns into this. Nico. <laughs> Tinelli Meister. All right. Detective Tinelli making copies. The Tinelli Nader. Hey, Rich. Tinelli Tola. The guy who breaks the rules. The rule breakster. Yeah, I'm just trying to make a couple of copies, you know what I mean? Nico Nicopolis. Do me a favor. Shut up, all right? Nico the Lone Wolf. El Lobo Solo. <laughs> Not in the mood for this, you know. All right, Nico. Not in the mood. Bad mood for the Niguana. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm serious. I think you better shut up now. You know what I'm saying? Next game. <laughs> Come here. Come here. I just want to. I just want to show you. Just what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh no! The rich meister thrown through the copy machine. <laughs> Possible concussion for the rich man. Nico losing control. Now listen right. to me. Got me by my ankles, Nico. The ankle meister. Listen to me carefully. I don't want you to talk about anything to me anymore. I don't want you to say my name anymore. You hear me? Everything's upside down. <laughs> Toxic turvy world for the rich man. I want you to talk to me no more. You got it? I'm... Then he just leaves. Uh, so, <laughs> so obviously it turned into the cuppy guy. And uh, and Seagal looks like he doesn't want to be there. He looks miserable. He's looking off, off the camera. By the way, I do want to mention that he also doesn't have a lot of costume changes. They also they wanted him to play a bunch of different you know, like characters. And the only big character that he plays, you'll hear uh, in the next clip I play, Um, but like there are barely any costume changes and a lot of the stuff that he wears is the same kind of stupid shit and costumes that he would wear in his movies because he didn't want to look uncool. I mean, he did. He did look uncool, but he thought he looked cool. But the point is that he would not allow them to let him put on really, really silly costumes. Only in one sketch did he do that. Otherwise, he's wearing the kind of stupid costumes that he wore in all of his stupid movies. And by the way, uh, when he throws... Uh, Schneider through the copy machine. That's the third person he throws through something in that sketch alone. Uh, he whips Chris Farley through a desk and he slams Paul Phil Hartman against the wall. 
So that, that continues throughout. Now, the next sketch, which is the best thing in the sketch, in the entire show, was a, was a very lengthy sketch called the All-Star Celebrity Tribute to Persian Gulf. Now, at that time, the Persian Gulf War uh, was still going. Um, it started in, uh, at the beginning of 1991, and so the, the Persian Gulf War uh, was starting. And this was a salute, a very long all-star tribute salute to the Persian Gulf vets. Tim Meadows, who was in his first season, by the way, looked like he's like 15 in this in this sketch he plays a vet and it's an all-star tribute to the uh to the uh, persian gulf vets kevin nealon plays tom Selleck. jan hooks plays barbara mandrell dana carvey is george bush phil hartman is charlton heston rob schneider is a sheik with a bunch of different wives and then mike myers comes out and does a big number as tony orlando and it's all about the the big long star-studded celebrity um salutes to the persian gulf uh war and the vets um, and at that time, in early 1991, there was a lot of push to get support for what was happening in the Persian Gulf, and they got a whole bunch of celebrities to do specials to get people hyped up about a war that really nobody really wanted and didn't understand. So this was a very, actually a very funny sketch, and oddly, not oddly, the reason why it's the best thing in the show is because Steven Seagal's not in it. It's a very long sketch. It's about seven to eight minutes long. Seagal doesn't show up, and everybody on stage does really funny stuff. Kevin Nealon is funny as Tom Selleck, and obviously Jan Hooks. You got Dana Carvey. And I wanted to play one clip from this, uh, even though Seagal's not in it, because it's funny. And to me, it's the funniest, it's the funniest like 45 seconds or a minute on the show. Uh, and this is Phil Hartman uh, as Charlton Heston reading a letter from, uh, from, from uh, a, 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 a Persian Gulf War vet. So this is, this is from this whole uh, all-star celebrity tribute to the Persian Gulf vets. You know, while stationed in the Gulf, the only way Private Adams could keep in touch with loved ones at home was by talking on the telephone or by writing letters. Here to read one of the letters he wrote to his best friend, Ernie Phillips, is America's legendary leading man, Mr. Charlton Heston. December 12, 1990. Dear Ernie, three months in the Arabian desert and man, am I horny. I think I'd lose my mind if it weren't for masturbation. At first, I tried to hide it, but now it's so out in the open, there's no point. Everyone's doing it. Enlisted men, officers, even the press corps. If you ask me, this whole operation is one big wankathon. Well, I'd better sign off as I have to get back to work. Signed, Reginald Lee Adams, PSC. Okay, so that's, uh, I just wanted to play that because that's Phil Hartman being the genius that was Phil Hartman doing uh, a Charlton Heston reading uh, the letter. But anyway, that whole segment, that whole, uh, you know, satire of what was happening then, these all-star tributes to the, 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 the Gulf War or the, or the first Gulf War, they were all very funny. And it was a great job. And, and a lot of the really strong cast members came out, did good impressions, did funny songs, and no Segal to be found at all, which is why it worked. Now, unfortunately, Segal does appear in this next one. And it is an episode of The Dark Side with Nat X, Nat X, the very hilarious character that Chris Rock played, uh, the you know the black militant character, um, and uh, and at one point uh, Sandman came out to read. The Sandman was a clown played by Chris Farley to read a, a letter, uh, and Chris Rock uh, could not stop laughing. And then he introduces his special guest on this episode of Nat X, 
uh, you know, and he had the, you know, the, the big, the big fro, um, you know, he's very militant, uh, you know, black nationalist uh, character. And, uh, and he introduces Andrew Dice Clay as played by Steven Seagal. Yes. Yes. In this sketch, you are going to hear Steven Seagal, who still doesn't know what his lines are, still don't know what the cue cards are, walks in late for his cue, doesn't sit down when he's supposed to sit down, is upstaging Chris Rock the entire time. This is Steven Seagal attempting to do an impression of Andrew Dice Clay. Peace, brothers and sisters. I'm Nat X, and welcome to the dark side, the only 15-minute show on TV. Why only 15 minutes? Because if the man gave me anything less, it would be a commercial. I think we all know who the man is. I'm talking about the same man that calls a white mouse a pet and feeds it cheese and calls a black mouse a rat and tries to kill it. I'm talking about the same man that invented the game of pool, a game that isn't won until the white cue ball knocks all the colored balls off the table. <laughs> all right, it's Saturday night. You know what that means. It's time for viewer mail. Sandman, come out and read me a letter. Tonight's letter comes from Eliza Cooper of Oakland, California. And she writes, Dear Nat, you seem like a very tense man. What do you do to relax? Well, little girl, when I have time off, I like to go bowling. You see, there's nothing I like better than taking that big black ball and throwing it into those ten white pins with a red neck. <laughs> My only guest tonight is one of the most controversial comedians in the country. Please welcome... Andrew Dice Clay. It's a beautiful thing. Sit your white ass down. How you doing that? It's nice to be on your show here. I'm glad you could make it, Mr. Dice. I understand you got a lot of free time on your hands since Ford Fairlane. What are you talking about? Four Phelan was one of the best movies ever made. And I kick any <laughs> you could say that didn't make that kind of money. Well, I'm not saying it was a bomb. But last week, the Ku Klux Klan tried to tie one of these under my car. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. It was the critics. You know, the critics, they're just a bunch of overpaid. <laughs> so what's up next for the Dice Man? You got a movie coming out this summer? No. How about next summer? No, but I'm amazing anyway. Just because I treat the chicks like the pigs that they are. So are you going to go see a movie? Hey, I ain't see you any movies and what's the afro anyway? You look like Link from the Mod Squad. <laughs> ah. Oh, it's 1991. You know, why don't you cut it square? Bada bing. Ooh. Hey. All right, cracker boy. I got a nursery rhyme for you. There once was a whitey named Dice who looked like Fonzie on steroids. Blah, 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 blah. My big black foot in your ass. All right, we gotta go. We gotta go. Hey, Dice, maybe you'll be in Greece part three. Tune in next week for stupid white people tricks. Hey. There you go. So that's Nat X. Um, I don't even really need it. You heard it. Uh, you should see it. He had a big, bad wig that was kind of falling off. He had a cigarette in his hand. Um, anyway, so Chris, Chris Rock tried to do what he did. By the way, uh, uh, 
you know, Chris Farley reading that letter dressed up like the clown as Sandman uh, to rock trying to keep from laughing. That's that's the funniest part of the whole thing. All right. Um, and then Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy happened. Uh, and, you know, that's always funny. Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. That was a funny moment. And then it was time for your musical guest. And here's <laughs> here's here. He even fucks this up. Here is um, Steven Seagal introducing your musical guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bolton. What? 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 Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bolton. What? He said. He said. What? He even screwed that up. What did you? Who is the? Who is the guest there, Seagal? Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bolton. Yeah, so he even screwed that up. All right, uh, and then on to Weekend Update. A great Weekend Update. Again, no Steven Seagal, okay? No Steven Seagal, just these, uh, this, this terrific cast at that time, working really well together. Your uh, anchor is Dennis Miller at his very best. Um, he was, he's, to me, he's maybe the second best update uh, um, anchor of all time. He was at his best. The, the stuff was really well written. It was George Bush, a lot of George Bush jokes, a lot of Persian Gulf jokes. Uh, really strong update. The Kennedy compound sex scandal uh, had happened at that time. So there were a lot of jokes about that. Uh, a Nancy Reagan book by Kitty Kelly had come out. It was very controversial, uh, slamming Nancy Reagan. Um, and, um, and I have a, a couple of clips from that, uh, that I want to get to. So this is the, about the Nancy Reagan book that came out. One of the many jokes about that. Um, and here is my favorite joke, uh, from, from, from the entire, uh, from, from the entire, uh, weekend update. And, and again, this is a, a series of jokes that were about, uh, Nancy Reagan and then about also the sex scandal, of the Kennedy compound. But this was my favorite joke of this update. Frank Sinatra told a concert audience in Phoenix on Thursday, I hope the next time Kitty Kelly crosses the street, four blind guys come along driving cars. <laughs> Sinatra denied any connection to the quote to the fact that on Friday, he bought Lincoln Town cars for his friends Ray Charles, Jose Feliciano, Stevie Wonder, and Ronnie Milson. Love that joke. Great joke. Uh, and the delivery, fantastic. And once again, this update, fantastic. And this was when... Dennis Miller was rolling as your update anchor. Fantastic as your update anchor. I wanted to play this as well. This is Kevin Nealon, who makes an appearance as Mr. Subliminal, and he is doing an editorial regarding the Nancy Reagan book by Kitty Kelly. This is Mr. Subliminal. Again, very funny, because Steven Seagal is backstage. Now with an editorial on the Nancy Reagan biography, here is Mr. Subliminal. Welcome, Mr. Subliminal. Last night, I finished reading this sickening piece of trash, Pulitzer. How could Kitty Kelly lie about such a fine and classy lady like Nancy Reagan? Slut. I mean, what kind of position, what kind of position do you think this puts our first lady in, doggy style? I mean, after all, this is the woman who taught us to just say no, Frank Sinatra. I mean, come on. Ronald and Nancy had a special relationship, Evan Costello. Sure, he may have, you know, he might have listened to her opinions, took orders, but if anyone had the last word, it was him. Yes, dear, let's face it. I know, I, I don't know how much of this book is true, 100%, but if any, it's good that we can get this information out of the closet, Merv Griffin. I have to be honest with you, though. No, I've got to be honest with you. Seriously. I don't know, I don't know anyone else who would purposely go out and try to hurt someone, LAPD, and instead of hounding, 
instead of hounding this very respectable couple, senile, that are no longer, you know, they're not even in public office, thank God, I think people like uh, Kitty Kelly would do well to focus our attention on America's real problems, Kennedy's. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you something. As for me, heterosexual, I will never, ever recommend this book. See the movie. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Subliminal. So um, that's very funny stuff. And the LAPD thing, by the way, that this was uh, a couple of months after the Rodney King uh, tape um, had uh, had had been exposed. Uh, so it was right after that. Uh, and the whole Merv Griffin thing is a very funny joke. And obviously the Kennedy stuff is very funny. Uh, and also the final segment of this very strong weekend update was Adam Sandler's first weekend update ever. Now, I'm not going to play any of it because it's really long. And the whole bit is set up because of the length. And it was his very first appearance. He looks, by the way, again, like Tim Meadows. He looks like he's nine years old. He looks so young. He was like 22 at this time. He looks so young. And he was like a travel correspondent. I guess they didn't know what to do with Sandler. This was before they let him play his guitar and do his wacky songs and do his, you know, his, uh, you know, the other stuff that he started to do regularly. But he described a trip that he went on to Greece and essentially talked about staying in the hotel and watching TV and stuff like that. Uh, so it's it's notable for Adam Sandler's very first appearance on Weekend Update, and also notable for Dennis Miller like slamming people, like he slammed um, um, uh, he 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 slammed Kevin Nealon a little bit. He slammed Adam Sandler for what he did, um, and it was terrific. So a great a strong Weekend Update. No Seagal to be found, and then the next thing they did again, no Steven Seagal. So he took like he was off stage for a good twenty minutes, and that was when the show actually kicked in. And then they did a Live Aid sort of parody. Casey Kasem introduces this new song, and it's Musicians for Free Range Chickens. And the song is called Free the Chickens, and it's set up like Live Aid. It's a whole bunch of people in a room with the headphones on in front of microphones recording a benefit Live Aid-like song to free the chickens. And in it, you had the real Michael Bolton, or Bolton, as Idiot said. Lenny Kravitz was played by Tim Meadows. Uh, Kenny Rogers was Phil Hartman. Cindy Lauper was Victoria Jackson. Bob Dylan was Dana Carvey. Tom Petty was David Spade. Axl Rose was Sandler. Diana Ross <clears throat> was Jan Hooks in blackface. <clears throat> Very uncomfortable. Uh, Mick Jagger uh, was Mike Myers. And Carney Wilson was, was Chris Farley with two women uh, playing the other, ver- the other people from Wilson Phillips who were not in the cast. Uh, and the song was called Free the Chickens, and it was a, a little documentary about the making of that, so it was a, uh, a satire on all of the benefit songs that everybody created, and it was an idea that was set up so that everybody in the cast could do imitations of very famous musicians. And it's a very, very funny bit. I'm not going to play any of it, because you got to hear the whole song, but uh, it's a very, very funny bit, and it's funny because Steven Seagal is nowhere near the damn stage. Then that's followed by another deep thought by Jack Handy. So, and then... Jennifer's Date. This is one of the worst sketches that you will ever see, one of the most uncomfortable sketches where you feel horrible for everybody who is on stage with Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal plays the father, the you know very imposing, scary father of a girl that Chris Farley picks up to go out on a date. Chris Farley shows up. He's got a leather jacket on. He's smoking. Um, and he has to deal with Steven Seagal, who plays the mysterious, possible CIA assassin dad, uh, Rob Schneider plays the the younger brother, um, and Jan Hooks plays the mom, uh, the doting mom who has to deal with Steven Seagal as the dad, um, and then uh, Victoria Jackson comes out as the daughter. Um, and again, Steven Seagal comes out basically dressed as one of his badass idiots from his... <laughs> from his action movies, doesn't look like a father in any kind of way, doesn't even play the scene like he's a father, 
uh, tries to act like a badass, like a Steven Seagal action hero badass, doesn't, isn't convincing in any way, even in the slightest bit. He doesn't want to be there. He's looking off to the side. Again, he's fucking up his cues. He's not looking at anything. He's not wearing a costume that anybody would want to wear. He stands out like a sore thumb among everybody on stage, delivers his lines terribly, isn't even attempting to be funny. Um, and the sketch itself, which again had to be rewritten a bunch of times to please him, is, an, is a nightmare. Now, here's a little bit of it. Jennifer's date where uh, Chris Farley is the unfortunate recipient of uh, the, t- the 10th degree by uh, the stern father played by the unfunny, the horrible Steven Seagal. Listen to this. Hey, look, this is, this is Jennifer's date, Doug. This is Jennifer's dad. Mr. Novak? <laughs> I think this kid needs an ashtray. Okay, I'll go get it. <laughs> so, uh, you're graduating this year. Am I... Well, do you have any plans? No. No plans, no. That makes me very nervous. You know, people who see my daughter should have plans. Well, I like shop, and I'm real good with cars. Well, that's good, because I guess that means in the middle of the night I won't get a phone call that your car broke down and that's why you were late or anything like that, will I? Uh, no. That's good. Oh, kiddo. Here's this ashtray. You seem to... You seem to be getting along just fine. <laughs> Is everything okay? I think Dougie here needs a uh, soda. Okay, I'll go get it. <laughs> Man, your daughter sure does take her time. What? Does that bother you? N- no. No. It's a nice watch you've got there. Yeah, my grandmother gave it to me last year for graduation. (laughs) Well, I'm glad she did because I guess that means that uh, I won't be getting a phone call from you that you lost track of time or anything like that, will I? No, probably not. Not not with my new watch. (laughs) Whoa, Doug. Hey, Doug, you're looking good, man. Hey, Randy. I heard you might graduate this year. Might. Is that your car out there? Wow, it looks so cool from here. Did you clean it or what? Why don't you uh, go out and look uh, look at it? I'm sure Dougie won't mind. Just don't touch it, man. Oh, whoa, cool. Cool car. So what uh, are you planning to do this evening with my daughter? We're going to party. Hope you don't mind. Well, uh, I guess it wouldn't matter if I did because uh, I wouldn't be there at the time. I'd be here waiting. Yes, yes, sir. What are you, what are you reading? This is called Silent Killers. <laughs> is it any good? It's very informative. <laughs> Listen, son, I know that you think that I may be a little bit old-fashioned or something like that, but um, I have something that I'd kind of like to show you that has great significance to me. Uh, it's a tattoo. Yeah. Something, just a little something that uh, I got overseas. I was part of the SKC uh, unit when I was there. Ah, uh, what, what's that? 
That's nothing in particular. I was a paid assassin. Okay, here's the tea. Oh, is he showing you that tattoo? Yes, ma'am. I guess he told you that story about the man in the Philippines that he killed, too. Assassinated, honey. Assassinated. But you were working for the government, dear. He always leaves that part out. <laughs> Hi, Doug. Oh. Sorry I had to wait. Hi, sweetheart. How Don't you? you look sweet. Yeah. You know, it's a little chilly out. I think she needs a sweater. Yes, you need a sweater, sweetie. I'll go get it. What time do you want me to come home, Daddy? Oh, with me, it really doesn't matter at all. I could care less. Let's just leave that up to him. Well, I was thinking I'd have Jennifer home by... 10? What? Uh, 9.30? Yeah, I, I guess that sounds okay. okay. Okay, well, I guess I'll see you later. Well, I, uh, I guess I will be waiting here. I can't even, uh, he was late on every cue. The only person that gets any laughs, like genuine laughs out of that is, is Jan Hooks, who's very funny in this, in this sketch. Uh, and you can hear the audience just like, ha ha, like desperately laughing to make it seem like something's funny. Anyway, unbelievable. All right, and then the final uh, scene of the, uh, the final sketch of the night, which uh, Odenkirk described, and this was something he wanted to write that he brought in, that, that uh, Seagal brought in. He wanted to be an, ecolo- an ecological crime stopper named Brace Steele, and the setup is they're in a conference room, and it's Phil Hartman who works for Exxon with Kevin Nealon and Tom Davis, the writer, Tom Davis, who worked with Al Franken, uh, and, uh, and, you can, and, and Dana Carvey is on the line as George Bush, and it's about these guys um, planning to, to do an oil spill and do all this horrible stuff, and then uh, he comes in, Stegall comes in, and just basically beats the crap out of everybody. And this is, uh, this is part of that. Uh, and again, this was something that Seagal insisted on doing and insisted on having a bunch of stuntmen on stage so that he could beat the shit out of them and throw them through furniture and break away tables and break away walls. Uh, and this is that, the end of that sketch. Why, if it isn't Brace Steele, Greenpeace photographer. I'm sorry to spoil all of your fun. Oh, you won't be spoiling our fun, Mr. Steele. We'll be spoiling yours. You see, you don't have a thing on us. Oh, no. I've got evidence. Photographic evidence. And what might that be, Mr. Steele? I've got a picture of you saying that this oil spill will be the granddaddy of them all. I've got a picture of you talking about Exxon hit teams and assassinations. And perhaps the most interesting, a picture of you listening to the President of the United States on speakerphone as he reveals his part in the conspiracy. You'll never make this stick, Steele. It won't hold up in court. Oh, I think it will. I'll just say we were talking about something else. Such as? Exxon Company business, drilling for oil, something like that. Maybe. (laughs) But the press will be very interested to know why the president of the United States was talking to you on the speakerphone? Well, I, that's right, Steele. You heard me. One hundred and sixty dollars. Oh, don't worry. 
it'll be reduced on appeal. <laughs> now that makes me violent. This is what happens when you pollute the planet. And that's the end of the sketch. The audience is like, what are we, what? That's what you get when you pollute the planet. And he's kind of looking at the wrong camera and reading it off the cue card. He just walks off the set, leaving everybody else there. Um, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And everything that Odenkirk said about how long it was, I edited, I, I, I edited the hell out of that sketch. I, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted you to hear how badly the line readings were and how unfunny the dialogue was, the stuff that Segal insisted on writing. All right. A nightmare show comes to an end. Here are the good nights. And he doesn't screw this up, oddly. But it's very, very funny because and when he does the good nights, uh, and as I've said this a million times before, Molly Shannon, who I once interviewed many times, uh, before once said to me that you should always watch the good nights. And I do because you can see all kinds of stuff that's happening. Um, and, uh, yeah. And watching the good nights here on the Steven Seagal show, the episode, you can see how everybody just kind of clears away from him, wants nothing to do with him. A very telling set of credits at the end for these good nights, but here's the good nights of this classic episode. Thank you all very much for coming tonight. Thank you all very much for watching. Thank you, Michael Bolton, and thank you all. Thank you. So, basically, at this point, everybody is just moving away from him. They're all just saying to each other, oh, my God, thank God that's over. And nobody is going up. Normally, you go up and you want to hug the host. You shake their hands. You kiss them. You're like, wow, great job, great job. Everybody just got away from Segal as quickly as possible. And then, obviously, it would go on to become, according to Lauren, the worst episode in SNL history. Segal was banned, and the episode has been cut from syndication. Everybody who has talked about it, everybody who has worked on it says it was a nightmare to work on. And just by watching it, you can tell it is a nightmare. Um, Totally, completely unfunny. A nightmare to work with the whole week. They had to rewrite everything until the very last minute. And the result is one of the worst shows of all time. And he has gone down in history as definitely one of the worst uh, hosts ever. Maybe the worst host of all time. Steven Seagal. I will be covering other bad hosts uh, as, as, the, as the episodes progress. We'll go through a lot of the episodes where people did bad, and we will also talk about the best hosts of all time as well. So uh, there you go. If you're interested in seeing it, it's very, very difficult to find if you can find it at all. Um, maybe if you do a little digging, you'll be able to find it. Uh, Steven Seagal, April 20th, 1991, uh, season 16, episode 18, and your musical and guest was... Michael Bolton. That's right. That was your musical guest. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, guest. Michael Bolton. That's right. There you go. Uh, so check it out. The worst host ever. <laughs> All right. My thanks to you for listening. Spread the word. Rate and review us. Uh, leave your comments if you would love to. We would love to hear from you. 773-417-6948. 
Any comments that you have about it and suggestions for future uh, episode topics, email us, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. That'll go to this podcast and my other podcast on Radio Misfits, um, and that's the Nick D Podcast. Check out radiomisfits.com for all of the other great podcasts. Again, rate, review us, spread the word. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for writing the opening theme and this closing theme. And my thanks to you, and we'll see you next time. On that show, Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I'm Nick DeGilio. Hear you next time. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.